1: forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. Our passage for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 13. Listen for what God is saying to you. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I have done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I have become a man, I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain. These three things, and the greatest of these is love. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the Scripture.
0: Good morning, everyone. So I resonate with Stacy when Emily, Pastor Emily, approached me a few months ago um, for preaching while she's on sabbatical. I was like, "Sure, that sounds a great idea." And as I got closer, I was like, "Why did I say yes to that?" (laughs) Um, But I am grateful for you all welcoming me here into this community, um, and. I'm grateful to be able to bring the word, so will you pray with me? God, Spirit, come and be with us in this room. Thank you that your presence is already here and you are already at work in each of our lives. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us and anything that is not for us, would it just fall away? May my words edify you. Pray these things, amen. So this week we're continuing our series of faith on stage, and the passage that we looked at, um, we're comparing or we're putting it with the, the musical Rent, and we sang the song "Seasons of Love," which is mo- most known for. And if you're like me, if you've ever watched it, you just weave through the whole thing. It's pretty much what I do every single time. Um, and I, to refresh my memory, I watched the musical, um, the, the video version or the movie version, um, and it seems pretty natural to pair our passage on love with this musical. And when I first think about this pairing and I think about the scripture, the version we read is kind of a more modern, updated version, but oftentimes when we hear about it, we hear love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, right? And I want to do a quick, free association. When you hear the beginning of that, love is patient, love is kind, does not boast, what comes to mind? Go ahead and yell it out. Weddings! Weddings. First thing that you said, right? Weddings! We're so used, if you're in, if you've ever been in Christian communities, that you hear um, weddings uh, as the main way to do this. And That was my experience. I'm gonna grab my phone real quick because I'm gonna time myself. Uh, That is my experience. Uh, So from the ages of 22 to 30, I was in 11 weddings. 11 in less than a decade, until I got smart and started saying no. Around 30, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. It's too much money. Um, And for all of that time, I actually was single. I wasn't out as queer at the time and I, didn't date, and it was a really lonely um, time for me. And so I kind of got tired of being everyone's uh, bridesmaid and the maid of honor and to spend all my little money as a single person um, on these big events. So when we think about love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast, sometimes these things are really kitschy. Um, They might conjure up ideas around something quaint, or maybe it's a bit overdone, or maybe we have the fond memories of romance in its honeymoon stage um, before the limits of health, before the financial struggle, um, before conversations of divorce and navigating raising kids together. For some of us, thinking about this passage connected to weddings is painful. It reminds us of divorces that we've had, um, or if you're from a queer, Um, background, it reminds us of families who are not very supportive, people who refuse to come to weddings. Um, Or if you were like me and spent your entire 20s and early 30s single, uh, it reminds you of loneliness. So when we see this letter to the Corinthians, Paul is not really writing about a wedding. And probably if uh, he went and looked at it later, what we're doing with it later, he was like, that, what? that was not what I was thinking, <laughs> had nothing to do with what was going on. Paul's writing to a community that's struggling. Every letter that we see um, in the New Testament is a letter that is in response to something that's happening. And you don't need to tell people who are getting along that they shouldn't be jealous, or that they shouldn't brag, or they shouldn't be arrogant, or they shouldn't boast, which means this community is fighting This community is not getting along, there are quarrels, and quarrels do not happen in isolation. And where quarrels are involved, usually scarcity is also involved. The reality is, is this community was feeling scarce. Scarce on love, scarce on acceptance, uh, scarce on power, maybe even scarce on resources. And so they were fighting and clamoring for some space to have power, some space to have acceptance. Um, So when I think about Rent and I think about Seasons of Love, you actually have to watch the whole um, musical to get an experience of what's really happening here. And the community in the musical is experiencing more about what the Corinthians were experiencing. It wasn't a wedding that was quaint and Full of like kind of happy, excited people, but is that actually a community of struggle? It was a community amid gentrification, dealing with stress of trying to keep the lights on and the heat going in the dead of winter. It was a community dealing with sickness and the AIDS crisis. And so I want us to begin by just watching a little bit of what the community was like.
2: December 24th, 1989, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. From here on in, I shoot without a script. See if anything comes of it. Instead of my old shit. No, get out of here. Hey! I said, get off the window! You document real life when real life's getting more like fiction each day. Headlines, breadlines blow my mind, and now this deadline, eviction, or pay rent. How do you write a song when the chords sound wrong, though they once sounded right and rare? When the notes are sour, where is the power? How we gonna pay? How we gonna pay? How we gonna pay? Last year's rent. Hello. Hey, guess she's back in town. It's it Collins, man. Throw it on the key. Ooh. man? Yeah. that shit! Come here, man! off! Get that shit of the Nothing to burn and it feels like something stuck in your blue How can you generate heat when you can't feel your feet and they're turning blue? You light up a mean blaze, post and screen How we gonna pay? How we gonna pay? How we gonna pay? pay? Last year's When on every street It's trick or treat And tonight, it's trick Welcome back to town Oh, I should lie down Everything's brown And uh-oh I feel sick Where is he? How are we gonna pay? How are we gonna pay? And pops with incendiary width. Two minutes they burn a past to the ground and feel the heat of the future glow. How do you leave the past behind when?
0: The intro to this scene, we see pretty much all of the characters um, at some point for a second. We have Mark, who's a struggling artist, living among the people, and later we see his former friend show up and he's participating in the gentrification of the neighborhood. You have Collins, who comes back in town, but before he makes it inside to see his friends, he gets beat up on the street. And later we see Angel, who did not show up in this scene, But he comes, he finds Collins, um, and picks picks him up. And it is unclear whether um, Angel is a drag performer or if Angel is trans, um, but we see this community come together. Later, we see Maureen and Joanne, who are middle class and upper middle class. You have Mimi, who's struggling with addiction, um, and some other people who are recovering, and they're all helping one another. And struggling to accept the scarcity that they feel. How do we cope with scarce resources? How do we cope with scarce time and life? How do we cope with the struggles of our life? This community is diverse, to say the least. Middle class and working poor professors, people who are struggling with drugs, we have folks with health complications, multiple expressions of gender and sexuality, income disparities, and health crises. In rent, we see people both fight and come together amid all these differences. And this is what the community in Corinth is like. There's a professor, Shively Smith, who writes about the community in this way. It says, or she says, the community congregation was not a homogenous group. It was a fellowship that transgressed conventional social boundaries of ethnicity, gender, age, rank, status, and life situation. There are married and unmarried men and women and widows and children among them. While most of the members are converted Gentiles, means they don't have Jewish origin, uh, it also includes people who have Jewish backgrounds. And in fact, some of these Jewish members were rather powerful figures who served as former synagogue leaders um, like Crispus, as well as there were lower class members as well. Some sat on the opposite side of the ranks, Um, For example, you have Erastus, who was a city treasurer, and Gaius, who had enough resources to support both Paul and the whole church community. There were people who were slaves and people who were free in this community, as well as people with different skills and sets, skill sets, excuse me. This community is diverse, and it is not super, they have nothing in common, really, except that they are a group of Jesus followers who decide to come together. And like most diverse communities, let's be real, it's kind of this thing, it's a buzzword, but most diverse communities split themselves off of people who are most like them. Either they're the same socioeconomic status, the same uh, queer identity or not, the same uh, race, right? That is how these communities. So I imagine if I can sit with the Corinthians, it was probably like this. They came to church together, but did they live their lives together? And this is where the scarcity arrives. This is where it shows up. And most communities themselves uh, have issues of power, right? And for them, in the case of this community, their power was centralized around spiritual gifts. Tongues, prophecy, even uh, the giving of resources. And so they were creating a hierarchy amongst themselves with these ideas. Uh, There was a sense of ranking insiders and outsiders. People were clamoring to be recognized, to be seen, and to be loved. And clamoring usually means scarcity, fear, and lack. So Paul reorients this community towards love. And love is not a feeling. Every single word that Paul uses is action-oriented. But it is also self-reflective of power. It talks about it does not brag, it is not rude, it does not seek its own advantage, it isn't happy with injustice. This type of love acknowledges power struggles and that community, these communities uh, will breed injustice if it doesn't acknowledge these power struggles. And I know from my own experience of crossing classes, um, I grew up in a poor um, working class family um, I'm the only person in my family to go to college, uh, and my mom was a single mom, and in high school, I worked to not get myself a car or those things, but I worked to help pay bills. Um, and in those spaces, scarcity feels lack. My mom was gone all the time, so scarcity of love felt like it was there. Um, scarcity of resources. as I, My mom shipped me across town to the most affluent white schools, and so I was not like any of them, and I felt it. And so I wanna show this um, to help us think about power. Oh, you cannot see that at all. Okay, I did not know that it was gonna look like that. So this (laughs) is um, something uh, from Audre Lorde, who talks about the mystical norm um, within our society. So Audre Lorde is a black lesbian poet um, and author. And she talks about uh, how our society and power is based on this mystical norm. And everything is centered around this norm. And this norm is male, it's white, it's thin, it's educated, affluent, Christian. Um, I, think, and I think those are the ones, right? And so everyone else who sits on the other side of any of those things, uh, so myself as a black, queer woman who is also not thin, has been fat her whole life, that I sit on sides of power where power sits here And even society is oriented around it. And so even like my own mistake here, um, I'm not thinking about someone who uh, might have like a visual visual disability, even in the fact that I didn't check this thing, right? And so my own mistake here talks about how power is oriented in one way. And so because I'm able-bodied and because I'm educated, uh, I sit sit with power in a certain way. And so when Paul reorients this community, Part of the reorienting is not just about love and a feeling, but it is about reorienting towards power and away from this clamoring to say, who can be the best among us? And I wonder if we um, can think about the ways that um, power itself plays in our own lives. because when we don't experience that power, we experience uh, the effects of scarcity, right? And our own bodies help us to see some things and not see other things. For example, um, my own self, right? If I think about some days I'm really aware of my ethnicity as a black and and my gender as a woman, Every time I go to the doctor or get on a plane, I'm I'm aware of my size, right? But I'm also not thinking about certain things because I both have uh, marginalization, but I also hold power. And in that reality, there are people that I always miss. Um, And so what I think Paul is doing is that he's reorienting this community to not only um, see their own scarcity, but to see other people, And when we are experiencing scarcity, it often affects our ability to love, which is why I think he pairs these these two things together. So I wonder for you, um, if we bring it home, like where are you experiencing scarcity and how is it affecting your capacity to love? In a more reflective way, maybe it's Uh, There's a lack of advancement on your job and you feel scarce. Or at the end of the day, you might feel scarce in your energy as you still need to parent after work. You might feel scarce in your finances, in your relationships. Maybe you've moved to a new city and you're lacking friends. Or maybe your family has rejected you and so you're lacking the familial unit. Um, Maybe you have siblings and you all are fighting for interactions with your parents um, but when we feel scarce, our ability to love is affected. And so Paul's solution is to reorient this community back towards love. Back towards the tenacious and gritty love that is not about bragging or seeking our own advantage. It moves away from jealousy and move towards, moves towards action, towards people. It's not about a feeling, but it's active. The end of the movie, Rent, uh, I think is a really beautiful way to think about this idea around love. We have this community. There's this uh, scene, and we're not going to see it, but it's where Angel uh, decides to help Collins, who's experiencing housing insecurity, um, and he says, come, live with me, I will cover you. And it's the beginning of their relationship. Um, And the covering looks like... uh, Collins experiences housing security, um, has someone who's struggling with AIDS. The two of them go to, um, they go to support groups together. Uh, They experience community together. Um, And then it's the role switch and Collins becomes the person that is laying with Angel um, on their deathbed. Um, And so the community comes together as, as Angel has died and they now have to cover Collins. Um, And so I just want us to watch this together as we think about what it means to love in an active way.
2: Pay me back with a thousand kisses. cover you, yeah, open your door, I'll be your tenant, don't got much baggage to lay,
0: Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It does not brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantages. It isn't irritable. It does not keep a record of complaint. It isn't happy with injustice, but is happy with truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts all things, hopes all things. The Corinthians love amid scarcity, is tenacious and is active. Through feelings of inadequacy, through scarce feelings, it moves into action and self-reflection. It knows that certain bodies are more burdened with marginalization, and it sees through the nuances of those things. How are you feeling scarce? And how is God calling you to seek love?